2: Whether you're a brand, large business, small business, or an individual, you need customers. And the chances are some of your potential customers are probably listening to this podcast right now. From history,
3: when Napoleon
4: laid Boulogne for a year Politics If that person is poor, it's a bad neighbourhood Then you have the disproportionate police brutality Which is meted out instantly at people of colour
2: Culture Had they written it that Chris called an ambulance for hours straight away and We wouldn't have learnt about the severity of alcohol withdrawal either Well done to the writers Thank you for making a wonderful podcast But I'd give Rotherham a miss Very. The <laughs> Rotherham <laughs> tourist board geekdom
5: the flag is a graphic symbol not a verbal symbol you know why don't we just write france on the flag i mean we laugh when you think of putting a
1: country's name on a flag
2: society or music young people
5: began
4: to turn away from their parents ethics and their style of dress and they began to dance to a new type of music
2: Royfield Brown's podcasts are downloaded just under 100,000 times a month. So putting your message here could well be worth it. If you have something to sell or promote, why not email royfield at gmail.com and hear your product or service promoted.
1: This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes.
5: All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Let's get Brexit done. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country.
4: Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield who is in Burlington in Ontario, in Canada. Today, it's our Christmas show. We are joined by Doug Levy, the man who knows what to do with the cauliflower. Just north of San Francisco, Clint Losey, ex capitol Hill staffer in Washington, Emma Burnell in Walthamstow in London, political commentator and TV pundit in Hamilton, Ontario, Laura Babcock, Karen Robinson, who's from the... Democratically Twenty Twenty podcast, multimedia artist and my old mucker Wayne Campbell in London. We have Matt Smith, Smithy, my old pal in the East Bay of California, and by Mick Wright, the journalistic fire starter who's in Norwich in the UK. Say hello, hello, folks. Hello. Hello. Howdy. Hello. Hello. In a year that has seen historic demonstrations for racial justice around the world, the impeachment of a president, a pandemic sweep the globe, I hunkered down with my own political bubble to look forward to the year that is going to be 2021 whilst looking back at 2020. Now, folks, uh, without mentioning Trump, COVID, George Floyd, Biden or even Brexit, what has been the most significant thing in 2020? Wayne Campbell. I'd say um, masks. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Isn't that fundamentally
6: co- a COVID kind of derivative, though? Everything oh. in 2020 is going to be a COVID derivative, isn't it? Uh, how we not how quite. We we, we, we'll um, go. We'll go for masks.
4: We'll go for masks. Emma Burnell.
2: I think either um, the treatment of the Ouija's in China and that an issue that we talk about and do nothing about.
4: Like, like many issues, wasn't that kind of swept away? in the whole dealing with COVID, though. We kind of forgot that the I mean, not- Chinese have rounded up over a million people.
2: Obviously, I have to go for a Band B issue because you've taken all the Band A ones.
4: <laughs> Fair enough. Doug Levy, you held your hand up, sir.
7: At the totally opposite extreme, home cooking and sourdough.
5: <laughs>
4: that That's a really good shout. And it has to be said that I've spent... I've had a whole year and a whole load of time in isolation, and I've still not really learned to cook. I can put things in a microwave and take them out even more efficiently than I could before. Your mother's a good cook. Laura Babcock, you were about to say.
7: The
0: fires in Australia, the fires everywhere. I mean, this year, if all the other things hadn't happened, we would be obsessed about the state of climate change. That got pushed back on the, in the conversation like so many other things did. But I think if you ask anybody under 10 years old what happened this year, that's what they remember. They're concerned about the future of the planet.
4: Good shout. Maybe I should have even taken that off the list to make it a little bit more difficult for you. Uh, Karen Robinson over there in London.
8: So I want to say the ability to find entirely new ways of working, which was caused by one of the um, things on your list, but um, the fact that we've discovered that technologically it is possible to do an enormous amount of the collaborative work that we used to do through technological solutions, I think is going to have a big impact on the way that we live in the future. I know that companies are already starting to think about, do I really need these big expensive um, headquarters in in city centers? I think that's really potentially problematic Because it could be quite difficult. People could become even more socially isolated than they were in the long term. But I think we'll find in the next few years that might be the longest lasting impact of of COVID for those who survived it. Clint,
4: you're over there in Washington DC, uh, a city which really is famous for for networking, for social network in the traditional sense. Are you going to miss going into an office? Because I believe you work from home, don't you?
9: Uh, I've been teleworking since uh, the very beginning of the pandemic and Uh, I know that there's just a lot of uh, places that are not really looking at going back yet. Um, And they they may not even be looking to go back after a a vaccine. Uh, And I know there's a lot of speculation from a lot of the corporate uh, offices in the downtown area that they might be moving those offices out and having a lot of their folks work from home.
4: On that tip, Smitty, Matthew Smith, you used to go out and meet your clients you can't exactly be all remote and work from home, can you? You still need to go out in, in your in your job.
5: I went without a handshake from early March until early June. And it just, it felt odd. Like it didn't make any sense. So like, what is this? I, I work in the solar industry. I work for a component supplier. And I think you can see the trend of like what COVID created. Residential solar is is massively more popular in, in different areas in the US than it's ever been before because everyone's working from home, running their in their heat, you know, 12 hours a day when they would only run it for five hours of the day. And Commercial Solar has, has taken a nosedive. I will say this, don't be afraid of what you can do with a bottle of hand sanitizer and a good mask. I, I tell a joke of like, I'm upset because I can't go around licking doorknobs like I used to. Like we find other ways, like we evolve and we get, we get good at different things and necessity is the mother of invention. And, and we learn alternate paths to, to close deals into moving business forward.
4: Mick, in the last year, you moved from from London uh, to Norwich. Has your week, uh, as your working week, changed um, at all? Considering that fundamentally, you always were one of these remote teleworkers?
3: Yeah, I, I guess, I guess, but probably in a sense, um, just because my my family are in the house more, which is good. I have an answer to your first question. I've been waiting to give. So, let, um, let the man talk. Yeah, the overarching thing is the grift. Right, the grift has been, is the ultimate thing of, of 2020. It's been the ultimate thing since about 2010. Uh, the underlying political uh, development is, is the power of grifters. And in the UK, it's been grifters on either side of the Brexit debate. FBPE, you know, far back pro Europe grifters on one side, and 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 Leave grifters on the other side. We've got a grifter in number ten, and we've had a grifter a, 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 as a president. And when you look at what happens when grifters are in charge, is corruption and chivying is everywhere, and that affects all of these other issues because nothing works properly because grifters aren't about making things work they're about continuing to make money for them and their friends
4: anybody would think your next line you were going to accuse the present incumbent of uh, the white house of being a grifter in chief by the amount of pardons he's given out to his cronies but you weren't going to say that at all
3: yeah i was going to do that and well done well and done and Hold our, that our prime minister is corrupt
4: One of the things which has really been marked for me in the last, let's say, six months, but really this has been a slow thing that has been happening since uh, I started coming to America in 2015, is people saying, what's happening with your country? So this is a a question to the non-Brits on the panel how has your perception of britain changed in uh 2020 i I'll come to you first clint
9: uh well i mean it's still on a, a trajectory that began uh in 2016 uh for a long time we had the uh monopoly on uh on craziness and politics for every midnight deal that congress has worked uh the, the uk seems to have outdone us with uh these brexit negotiations so uh well done on, uh, on showing us up. Laura Babcock. I agree.
0: I think that Brexit did the most brand damage of anything. It changed my opinion, certainly. I have to say now, the, uh, what you're dealing with, with the second strain of the virus and, and just all the shutdowns and chaos, I mean, it's, uh, it's been a rough couple of years.
4: Uh, Matt Smith, of course, you've had your perceptions of the UK bolstered by the fact that we've become friends in this time, time period. <laughs> of, course. <laughs> of course, of course, of um, course. So you can't really answer um, fairly. So I'm going to move on from you. Uh, Karin, you, you're you <laughs> in a really nice. interesting uh, position in that you're obviously an American, but you live in London. I presume that before you came to our hallowed shores, you thought that uh, England, you know, in Britain, it's the mother of all parliaments. We fundamentally, the Greeks didn't invent democracy. It was us Brits. We had this egalitarian society. London was a racial utopia.
8: Yeah, that, that's no longer my view, I think it's fair to say. Um, I think it's interesting because compared to previous to 2020, I think I would have already said since 2016 that I've been disillusioned from a lot of my kind of love for the UK in terms of, you know, I used to sort of think that it was this profoundly, like quite pragmatic country, right? And And I think 2020, I think I really in 2020 have finally gone, you know what? There's nothing there that's coming back that's protecting you from broken, systemic, bad policymaking. And yeah, I think I've, I've been a little taken aback to discover that Britain is prone to all the same irrationalities that America is.
4: Doug, broken policymaking was a virus that Britain caught from the US, of course, <laughs> right? You guys had it first. Uh, but, but jokes aside, um, how how your perceptions changed of the UK?
7: The UK has a better government than we do right now, so I'm jealous of my friends in the UK. Doug, 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 up.
4: Doug, I'm standing you down, sir. Ridiculous statement, <laughs> right? Uh, Emma <laughs> Burnell, is you were right shaking is. your head so vigorously <laughs> it nearly flew off your neck, Emma. So why don't you uh, put Doug right, Emma?
2: Doug is lucky in that his dreadful leader is unable to get anything done. Our dreadful leader gets shit done, and... That has been a mess. I was trying very, very hard, those who are watching rather than listening to the podcast will know, to come in after Mick, because I've spent the day editing the website Left Foot Forward, which I do have a few weeks. And I wrote a piece today about some new um, polling that's come out. And 59% of the public believe that the procurement the uh, over the pandemic response was corrupt. literally corrupt not questionable corrupt 59 percent of people polled thought that the government had basically handed out contracts to their mates and you know why they think that because it's absolutely true and you know you've got a lot of self-dealing with Trump but it's not like we don't have that here too but we've also had whereas Trump has been largely unsuccessful because he's pretty useless and everyone he hires is pretty useless. He's managed to dismantle the parts of the state that were useful. But what he hasn't done is actively managed to make that much difference in terms of the the active things he wants to do. Whereas we have left our biggest trading partner, uh, our 25-year relationship. I mean, we are waiting on tenterhooks to hear what terrible deal we're going to accept because it's slightly better than not having a deal at all mm. um so uh,
4: all right. emma, <laughs> emma that's oh, a very full sorry. answer emma sorry. a very full answer very thoughtful not in keeping with the spirit of this show where i want glib <laughs> and quick all right uh, wayne campbell Brexit schmexit, it, no big deal. a couple, couple of lorries in Kent. So what? The lorry drivers can't wash for three days. No biggie. We're gonna be fine, aren't we? Are we? Are
6: we gonna be fine? Uh I, I suppose when I look at um how uh when was it about a couple of a month ago we started seeing the adverts about how Brexit's come in, prepare for the first of January when the whole changeover starts. To hear in the papers and to um, to hear in the news cycles that just over a quarter of companies are actually prepared to, to move into this this new cycle of, 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 of change, of handover. So it, it just feels as if there's been a load of spin around what needs to be done. But behind the scenes, absolutely hardly anything's been done. It, it's hardly surprising that we, we've got, is it six or seven mile tailbacks? Uh, to through, through, through the ports of Dover, and mm-hmm. there are other ports have been shut, and people have been told that you, you yeah. You but know, Wayne, you, you can't
4: I was told, it. I I read an article saying that because of those tailbacks, we only had three days worth of supplies of lettuce or was it cucumber left in the country. I don't even need those things, so I was like, that, that's fine as far as I was concerned. No biggie, no biggie. Uh, Clint, uh, I'm gonna slightly change, change the topic here, Clint. Um, one of the things which, uh, COVID, at least given us space to do is indulge ourselves because, you know, we've been locked down at home, maybe uh, with our loved ones. And if you don't have any loved ones, you've been locked down by yourself, right? So um, tell us one thing which you've read this year or one thing which you've done this year, which maybe wouldn't have done because of COVID.
9: I, I absolutely gave in to the sourdough craze. But the thing is, I will say, I waited until just last month to do it. I held out all through the summer. I held out past the spring. I held out through all the terrible sourdough starter pun names like Dwight Eisenflower. I finally broke down and, and I got some starter and it's actually pretty glorious.
4: Uh, Matt Smith, you're a man who always seems to be able to fiddle with himself in a productive way. But, you know, in terms okay.
2: of... We've got <laughs> very panto. This is, this is, this is it's own that own time memory.
4: of year. It's that it's time so of year. I've got. Matt, you're a man who can fill his own time, shall we say, whether you're in the company of others or by yourself. Is there anything
5: new which you've done this year? Uh, this is going to sound kind of sad, but I have different tiers of masks. So I have a wildfire mask for when I go running or biking. I have a mask, I have a, a different style of mask to see customers in. I have a mask for just going to the grocery store. So these masks have kind of been my become my friends almost. It's like it's like the Mank's Castaway movie where he names the he names the soccer ball that washes up on the beach. I don't have names for my masks yet, but like I've started to incorporate these things into my daily life because it's like, well, I'm going out to do X, what type of mask do
4: I need to have? Doug, you're a cultured man. Tell us something which is going to elevate our spirits in terms of uh, what you have learned this year, what you've done for the first time this year because you've had time on your hands.
7: Well, I'll stay on the culture theme. I've been making kimchi and cultured foods. Oh, letting
4: things smell bad, basically.
7: Yes, and it's actually, it's been a learning thing. It's not just about the food. It's actually been an opportunity to read and explore and find out from friends and strangers about other cultures and why different things are done. You're
4: a smart guy. You're wasted on this podcast. You're using cultures in every meaning of the word. I like your style, Doug Levy. Laura Babcock, why don't you jump in?
0: Yeah, because I've been home with my kids for 10 months And uh, they have been exploring all kinds of things, including most recently, my 10-year-old daughter has learned to master French macahoe like making her own pistachio flour, her own walnut flour. She came up with a walnut maple macaron. It's incredible. It takes about 10 to 12 hours to get about 10 of them. Uh, But you know what? It has just taught us patience and refinement. And we've been doing research. Uh,
4: Is there anybody here who's not going to make me feel bad because they're really good in the kitchen? Karin, you look like somebody who could be as inadept as I am in the kitchen. Please tell me there's something else other than cooking Kimchi, or whatever the heck, which you've learned this year?
8: Well, I am. I have to say, I do rock it in the kitchen, but my uh, thing I achieved this year was going to be um, I got through a major mental break that I'd had for all my life, um, ever since hating physical education in school and the belief that I had deeply ingrained in my head that I am incapable of running. Just physically, that I am not a person who is capable of moving my feet any faster than at a walking pace, that I would burn up and die if I tried. This year, because I found my body hated sitting around and not going anywhere, not getting any fresh air during lockdown, um, I forced myself to go through a program of learning how to run. And um, that was a, I am probably the slowest runner that is still technically running. Like I I have actually gone through like little apps and things and checked how's my pacing. And I'm well behind literally statistically every other runner in London, but it doesn't matter. Like I am moving my legs in a slightly faster than walking pace speed. And that for me, is just a huge mental mental break that I overcame. So that was my achievement of the year.
4: Well, you know what? I, I, I like that. I like that. Leave, leave the best till last, which is obviously you on, in this topic, right? You're going to blow our stacks here, right? Can okay, Emma, we're coming on to you. You're really our
3: last, on, Emma. Shush, shush. Be nice to Emma. <laughs> right, right. And what about Wayne? And like, come on, where's this, this, where's this here? Come on. Well, right. Wayne's okay. at the
4: back of the bus. Wayne's at the back of the bus. Right. Now, um, <laughs> now
3: Mick. right, go on. T- tell us what you've learned this year, sir. Uh, no. Well, yeah, in a sense, I've been thinking a lot about revolutionary movements because I think um, we are kind of up shit creek and electoralism uh, has let me down. So uh, there's that. But also, I, I, I've been running a, a daily a daily TV show um, online called The Paper Thing, where I review papers every day. And that's been quite good because it's been helping people understand how the media actually works. Definitely, uh, uh, I'm more of a gamekeeper turned poacher, but it's uh, it's good. It's good. Also, I've been writing a book for you, which is nearly done. I've said it's nearly <laughs> done a lot, but it is now nearly done apart from the stuff you haven't uh, sent you, me.
4: You know what? It, it's the end of December. I've been hearing that from July. But anyway,
3: ah, that's, yeah. uh, <laughs> here's, the thing. here's the thing. I've been hearing from you. I'll send you that tomorrow and then not receiving it for about a month. So tomorrow is tomorrow, Mick. Uh, Uh, Ah, ah. All right. Moving on. (laughs) Can you
4: please mute yourself, Uh, Wayne Campbell? Wayne Campbell. Very quickly. Uh, I
6: need two lines from you. I'm going to give Emma Burnell two lines, and we're going to move on. What you learned? Quick. I've I've discovered uh, Portland stone uh, stone stonemasonry, so that's been amazing. Uh, uh, Yeah, like that. Move on. Emma Burnell.
2: I took up yoga just before we started, and I can now do things I never thought I'd be able to do. I can touch my forehead with my toes
4: did you say that you're on um hinge
2: <laughs> <laughs> you hear
4: it here folks right let's move on we we asked how have perceptions changed of the uk in the last year how have per- perceptions changed for our brits of the united states uh let's start with you wayne campbell Percept. uh yeah, um all right. This is a show we need people to have glib, quick comments on. You know, ready to go. Wayne, H- hold fire, sir. Right. Mick Wright, whilst Wayne is gathering his thoughts.
3: All right, go to me because I'm glib. Right? All right, okay. then. Okay. Uh, no, right, no, I'm okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, glib. <laughs> I'm
1: go on. ready. Oh, go. Well, let
3: Emma be glib first. Go on.
2: <laughs> um. I mean, we think you're as mad as we ever thought you were, but maybe a little bit more so, and maybe. The last month a
4: little bit less so. On that thought, okay, Mick, right. Coming on to you, didn't hasn't America redeemed itself to a certain degree in the fact that what almost 80 odd million Americans of like I'm just Mick, I don't believe this either. This is just for the sake of feeling like there's some level of balance on the show. You do a bit, you do a bit. I don't remember. I was so angry. Emma Burnell, stand down. Remember, I was so angry that uh, Biden didn't have an overwhelming victory. And I was the person who was the most negative on that show, remember? Thank you for nodding, Laura Babcock. We're so
3: dour. Come on.
4: How has your perception changed of America maybe in 2020? Mick Wright.
3: You know, there was the, the Who song, Won't Get Fooled Again. Well, america's just got fooled again hasn't it because if you look at if you look at biden's cabinet it's the same corporate interest people the, th- the thing that's really done my head in is the notion that uh, because trump was very obvious about the grift and all the bad stuff right that everyone went oh it's great politeness is back same problems with the american system is still there but what what disappoints me is that people think wow it's all better now because the grown up is back in the room well sorry but the grown up is filling his cabinet with corporate interest and he said, "Oh, we're going to take climate change seriously." But Barack Obama said that at the start of his term of office, and it didn't happen. What's changed for me is I, I did. I thought America was quite gullible. Now I realise it's very gullible. All
4: right, so, good answer,
6: Wayne. Have you had a chance to come up with a suitably not glib uh, but pithy I can, answer? I think, we need I think pithy. What we got? Okay, what have we got? America's shown its true colours. Whereas before, I was under the impression, and you said earlier that we you now thought Biden was going to have a landslide. And then when I saw that it was actually close to the 50 social politics in America have been everything that I was scared, that I was afraid that they were. And now okay. thinking, no, you, it's true. too long
4: now, exactly. not pithy anymore, not pithy anymore, got your point, right? Uh, Laura Babcock, have a pivot in this conversation here. You're, you, you are the, almost at the nexus because to us Brits, you sound American, to Americans, you sound something else and whatever. Culturally, you're in between the two countries.
0: In the U.S., what has been disturbing is um, the violence in the streets, The how unleashed white supremacy and all of that has become.
4: So that has really surprised you in 2020, though? What
0: surprised me, yes, because I always knew they had a robust gun culture and I was very concerned with the mass shootings and the school shootings and everything. But in the last year, just the unleashing of militias into the street, where they walk right into offices and to government buildings and they are allowed to open carry and threaten and beat up journalists, like it to me has taken a sharp turn uh, in a very bad direction. And now to the point uh, Mick was making about, you know, is it any better now that the grownups in the room, Maybe a slight restoration of at least more civility coming from the bully pulpit, maybe more multilateralism in terms of its engagement with the world, certainly better relationships with our country. Uh, Biden got along famously with Trudeau, as did Obama. And so for us, it portends to be better than it was before. But America shocked me by how uh, they just got to the streets with their violence. It wasn't just their military. It wasn't just their rhetoric. It was like boots on the ground. That's terrifying. We're right along the border. That scares all of us up here.
4: can't argue with that. Doug, um, very obviously, uh, 2021 is going to bring forth uh, a new president for the United States. Is he going to bring dignity back to the office of the presidency?
7: Yes. Once he's in office, once things have settled down, what's disturbing is that We're watching a lot of landmines being set. And I'm nervous. I mean, as I said on November 6th or whenever we had the post-election conversation, there's a lot of things that Trump can do to make things difficult for Biden. And it sure as heck looks like that's exactly what's happening. So Biden will be a mature, reasonable, professional leader. But there are going to be traps that have been set, and it's going to be really messy for quite a while.
4: Colin, tell us some of these traps that Doug's alluding to. What traps are going to be set for the new Biden administration in 2021?
9: Uh, I think one of the, the biggest traps is that Trump isn't going to go away. Um, I think there's this idea that some people have that on January 20th, Biden is sworn in, and then, and then it's over, and then, then you can leave. But, but Trump is going to be tweeting. Um, right through the inaug- inauguration, I mean, I imagine literally through the inauguration, uh, to to whip people up, um, to to fundraise, to to talk about his twenty twenty four run that he he will presumably be announcing at noon on January 20th. Smitty,
4: aren't we going to miss Donald Trump to a degree? Aren't we going to uh, miss him every day? Felt like, oh my God, it's a new day. There was some some incredible faux pas misspeak, new policy movement, bit of corruption, bit of grift to use mixed word. There was something going on. Things quietened down. Aren't we going to forget the heady days of Donald Trump and kind of hanker for them?
5: He's such a bad leader and he's so ineffective because so bumbling. And so we'll we'll miss like this cartoonish, like oafish, just bumbling idiot. Um, but I, 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 to Nick's point, I worry that the American public is going to get in a sense of complacency around, oh, the good the good guys back in charge now, and we're going to stop protesting. We're going to stop advocating for change. We're going to stop, say, advocating for police reform, for environmental reform, uh, you know, security reform. I still don't think Congress people should be allowed to buy and sell stock. We need to be really aware that when the shiny tooth used car salesman person takes over and tells you everything's going to be okay, you still need to protest and you still need to hold your government very accountable on a very short leash.
4: Good answer. Good answer. Karen, I'm going to come to you then to you, Clink, because you're holding up your hand. Uh, Karen Robinson, um, dignity back in the office, landmines for the Biden administration. Um, shoot.
8: I mean, dignity is a double edged sword, isn't it? Right. Dignity is what the oppressor can use to make his oppression acceptable. I don't think that's what's happening with Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden is genuinely a decent person who who has nothing but the best intentions. Um, but he operates within a structure that disadvantages people who are already oppressed and structurally um structurally harmed. So But didn't he say didn't he make a big point of
4: saying that um his cabinet his administration was gonna look like America?
8: He did. And I think he will. I think, like I say, I think Joe Biden has nothing but has nothing but good intentions. However, my point, I agree of the point about complacency. I actually think it's probably in the end for the best that the American public, especially on the left, has realized um, that you can't just appoint, elect a savior and then step back off and think that your job is done. Even good politicians who have good policies will wind up doing the wrong thing quite a lot of the time, not because of malice, but because of structures. Structures ultimately matter more. More than people. So, if that's true, then what we need are structures that will pressure the people who are operating within these offices. And it's got nothing to do with whether Joe Biden is a good man or a bad man. I think he's a good man. I think he's a good man operating in a bad system. And I think what's helpful is I think a lot of Americans in the past year have discovered that the systems that they operate in are badly set up. I hope that we have now a generation of people who are starting to think at a much more structural level rather than personalities.
4: All right, Clint, then we're going to come on to you, Emma. Is Biden the person for the time? Does he maybe lack the creative thought in terms of moving America truly on? Isn't he just the man of the system, as Karin was alluding to?
9: I mean, I think in terms of him being the man of the time, the time is to get rid of Trump. I mean, I think that you saw that through the primary where a lot of folks had a, a, had different ideas about who should win, but nobody was looking at Biden as the big front runner until it became clear that there were a lot of people who were anxious about who could beat Trump and Biden seemed the one most likely to be able to do that. So it was really about getting him out um, and I think that to, that he is going to play that role pretty well. I think that there are lots of opportunities to roll back um he's not gonna be the visionary leader that particularly folks on the left are looking for, but I think he's he's gonna be a slow steady and in the in the right direction. Emma?
2: I think Biden is a well-meaning guy, but I also think he's very naive. I think he's very old-fashioned, and I think he's trying to work within a system that doesn't exist, and that he has this very West wing eyes, kind of idealized vision of how things should and could work.
4: Oh, unlike President Bartlett, he was good though. No, oh, Bartlett it was a terrible president. Not
2: real. <laughs> and if Joe Biden goes in there thinking he's bloody Jeb Bartlett, he's going to just be completely annihilated. Now, I wouldn't have voted for Biden, I wanted to vote for Elizabeth Warren because I'm a, a lefty feminist. But um, I think he's a better option than Trump. Am I massively excited about the huge amount of change we're going to see over the next four years? No. But do I breathe a sigh of relief that the rapist and sheep is no longer in the West? Yes. Uh,
3: Mick
4: Wright, you, you add your hand up, sir. And then we're going to come on to you, Laura. Then we're going to move on.
3: I don't think Biden is particularly naive. Biden's been in politics for years. Biden's about... Biden understands pork barrel politics. He understands how to make the deal. He's already talking about reaching across the aisle to Republicans, which is madness because the Republicans will always just rat fuck you whenever they can. Secondly, a lot of um, columnists starting to say stuff about restarting the war machine. That's worrying. There was a headline that literally said restart the war machine. You want to look at, under, the, uh, under the Obama administration, the number of drone strikes that happened. A lot. Trump, in some ways, was arguably better for the poor brown people of the world because there were less wars happening. He didn't start any new wars. Now I know that he's upset a lot of us who don't who want politeness. And certainly when Emma calls him the rapist in chief, that's that's basically a fact. That's basically a fact. And he's willing, you know, happy to have him try and sue me in the UK. Um, And finally, the the one thing I would say is the US has a big problem with the gerontocracy. Look how old the president is. Look how old Nancy Nancy Pelosi is. Look how old a lot of senior senators are. You cannot have your political class be in their 70s and 80s and expect the young people of your country to think that the country means anything to them. That is a massive problem.
4: Uh, Laura, you have the last word.
3: I do think we have
0: seen an awakening in America, and we alluded to it earlier when we talked about how many people were out marching. But if you even look at things like the Lincoln Project and this idea of groups coming across the aisle outside of that pork barrel framework, just simply to defeat which was an odious leader, um, that once you're woken up to that, once you realize that going out on the street and that, you know, banding across with unlikely allies and really pushing and using some of the technologies that were used, it can make a real difference. And so I don't think we're going to, even though Biden might be old school, might be part of the past and part of the system, I don't think that Americans are going to be as okay with the system as they were before. I'm not suggesting there's ever gonna be a third party like there is here in Canada, more of a conscience party in the mix. But I have seen the dialogue shifting and there's such an awareness now that their democracy is a fragile thing. They are not exceptional. They are not going to stay as strong and you know, the leaders of the world. They are weak and they are being savaged by a virus. They could have done much more to contain. And so I think that Americans have had uh, a real tipping point, And I hope what we see on the other side of it is more grassroots politics, more youth getting involved, more people saying, screw the Republican and the Democratic stuff of my parents. I'm going to work with this person because this person wants to defeat this bad idea or this bad policy.
4: Slowly but surely, we're getting more considered in our answers here. This is the end of term Christmas show, folks. right. So um, just uh, to, to lighten the mood, before we uh, maybe take it down another serious cul-de-sac. We've had the U.S. government basically say that Facebook should be split up, and I say not before time. Doug, I'm going to start with you, sir. Um, what has been your technological or social media crutch in 2020?
7: I am going to reluctantly say, like everybody else, Zoom which I've been using for four years, but I've got four screens in front of me and I have a hard time imagining life without it. My parents in their 80s are using Zoom. It's a godsend. Here's a
4: note to everybody else. Gonna answer after Doug can't say Zoom. So that's gonna really make you think, right, Quint, I'm coming over to you up there in Washington DC. You seem to be like you're a man of the zeitgeist. You got the, your finger on on the pulse. I bet you're TikToking with all the with all the kids, aren't you?
9: Uh, TikTok is a huge security risk, Royfield, So we're gonna to need to take that down.
6: <laughs> oh. <wow. laughs>
9: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting by on the New York Times crossword app. Where that's where I live these days in terms of uh, technology.
4: I like logic. that. Clint. that says, I think that says a lot about you. It's mixing the old with the new. So it's an app, but it's kind of eh, yeah, I like it's little,
9: that. It's a little stodgy. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karin, you, you've been like hands been jumping up and down over there. Um, what's been your social media or technological little thing which you've been you've cuddled up to in 2020?
8: I uh, have been relying on WhatsApp um, during lockdown. Not least, I have lots of groups from different walks of my life who I'm able to speak to um, that way. So it's kind of replaced all of my social life, um, the various WhatsApp groups that I have. And for that reason, I really hope they do break up Facebook because I would really love to continue using WhatsApp and not spend time with a Facebook-owned company.
4: Wayne Campbell, uh, your middle name is Mr. Technology. Whatever. So I'm expecting something
6: left field from you, sir you know what <clears throat> unfortunately no, I'm old school I'm actually Facebook is the one that I've been I've actually been using. what well, you've one. embraced
4: it in 2020 that makes no sense surely that's it, like 20 no, 2009
6: sir come on it was one of the, on. it was one of the technologies which I actually thought I would I would not be using as much the complete opposite is is, is the reality I'm using a lot more Facebook and I'm um, just being able to reach out to the older generation and the younger generation it's like a bridging platform it the
4: younger generation to... aren't on facebook it's all them grandfathers well, like you wayne no. No. basically what you're saying is i'm, what I'm what a, I'm a grandfather i'm a silver surfer
6: i'm, I'm down I'm with saying facebook saying my, my, my kids are on facebook so as far as i'm concerned the young people are on facebook so it works for them as well facebook <laughs> emma uh what's your answer
2: What's been fascinating to me is how polyamorous we've become about technology. I have no platform. Uh,
4: is that what you have on your Hinge profile? <laughs> you know, about your new flexible self?
2: <laughs> Sorry. This is a serious <laughs> podcast.
4: <laughs> I this is not a way for you to extend your dating profile.
2: So, I have this group of people. I've mentioned this on the podcast before that I watch mm-hmm. a terrible film with every Friday. We actually did Film Flop Tuesday last night, which was amazing. We talk to each other on Skype, we talk to each other on Zoom, we talk to each other on um, Twitter, we talk to each other on Facebook Messenger, and it just kind of skitters all over the place. Um, I do three weekly exercise mm-hmm. classes with my mum, my sister, and my sister's best friend. We go on Zoom, we go on WhatsApp video, you know, we, I mean, nobody cares what we're using. And I just think that's actually more interesting as a concept that we haven't, it doesn't seem to have been a winner.
4: The, the stock market price of Zoom will tell you very clearly that it has been a winner, but I, but I hear you. I hear you, Mrs. Uh, Matthew Smith, what's been your social media ooh, of uh, 2020? You can't be looking into the air and thinking like you didn't have 10 minutes to gather your thoughts, Smitty.
9: I'm gonna, I'm
5: gonna, do you have an answer ready to go, sir? It's going to be completely cliche because I can't say Zoom, this platform that I use for so many business interactions and so many friend meetups and, you know, coalescing From around the country, of let's get a beer and a joint and let's all hang out on Zoom. I fall back to comedy podcasts, remembering how to laugh. Like it's so important. Look, my life's mess, but it's it's not as crazy as this comedian is telling what what's going on in his or her life. Dog videos on Instagram. It's a shot. It's a combination of dopamine and oxytocin. It 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 scratches the itch. I I see what you
4: did there. Talking about dog videos scratching the itch. Well done. Well done. Mick Wright.
3: You know, like when you're a really serious drug addict, you start to mix your drugs, right? So you get your cocaine, you put your heroin together, it's a speedball. Mine's um, mine's the three T's: Twitch, Twitter, and TikTok, right? So Twitch because it's where I do my show. I've made a lot of friends on Twitch. It's really good. Uh, Twitter because it's where I promote all my shit, and TikTok just because it's funny and it's just instant hits, like of, of stuff to watch. So that's it. Three T's. There you go. glib answer. <laughs> <laughs> i did halfway
4: through the show replace the word glib with pithy to be fair to me there you go but well done sir laura babcock you have the last answer in this segment
0: you know what i used to be polyamorous <laughs> with it but between tracking the actual virus hey, one minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How, how was mr babcock with that you know what? He couldn't care less what I do. We've been married for over 20 years, <laughs> <So> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter for me, between tracking the news of the virus, fighting for civil rights, obviously promoting. Oh, you know, what, look, I'm going
4: to st- you can't say you, you have to mark off Twitter because we've had Mick mentioned Twitter and you didn't discover it in 2020. Come on.
0: No, but I discovered even more of its potency, but I'll tell you oh, this. Um, uh, I, have discovered, I have discovered binging uh, the Narcos series and all of the, I think I've watched every Cartel series on Netflix in Spanish that exist out there. I'm, we're talking like there's 72 episodes per series and I've already gone through Escobar and Chapo and all <laughs> of it, so that is what I've been doing. That's what I've discovered, a way to completely forget where you are.
4: Nice. Cool. Moving, moving on, looking forward uh, to 2021. Imagine we are, it's 2021 and uh, we, we, we sat here. It's all nine of us together. We're like, Ooh, remember, we're doing this in 2020. Will Boris Johnson be the prime minister of the United Kingdom? What major changes will there be other than, of course, Brexit? January the 1st, what major changes will there be in British politics by the end of next year? I'm going to start with, well, Mick Wright has decided to make himself a sandwich, right? So he's running around in in his rather nice kitchen. You were kissing your cat there, Emma, saw that, kissing the pussy. And uh, Wayne, so we're going to come to you, Wayne, right? Because Emma is elsewise (laughs) occupied, (laughs) right?
6: Will Boris Johnson be the prime minister by the end of next year? God, I'm hoping that Marcus Rashford will be the prime minister by the end of next year. Judging by what he's actually doing for uh, for schools and reform, um, will Boris be here? Boris has got the he's got the poison chalice, hasn't he? I mean, we're, 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 we've got this, we've got this, 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 this we've got all of the. Has he though you know, Wayne,
4: I, 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 let, let, let me give you another let me give you another view on this. Right, Boris Johnson tried to equate himself with Churchill, a wartime prime minister. Boris Johnson, in his feverish dreams before he became prime minister, wanted there to be a big challenge, not necessarily a war war, that he and his intellect and his charisma could overcome. He had that opportunity this year
6: and he's blown it, hasn't he? Boris has bitten off way more than he can chew. I mean, um, I think that there is... By becoming prime minister. By becoming prime minister, yeah. I mean, I I think anybody who became prime minister in 2020... would have would would have suffered. Disagree. Okay, disagree. disagree. Justin Trudeau's oh, done well. Angela
4: Merkel is not in a prime this, minister. I'm, I'm this is a Chancellor. About, Just into her. her, talking, her, about her. In, talking, about, talking about in this country, here. Yeah. But look how much goodwill. I would say in the first lockdown, the government was given a bit of a pass by everybody, because this is a once in a hundred years pandemic. Emma Burnell, is he still going to be Prime Minister in a year's time?
2: I think it probably depends a lot on what happens in the local elections. I I know that's not a glib answer or a pithy answer or a fun answer, but um, it's entirely down to the 1922 committee. If uh, they feel like Tory seats are in danger because of Boris, they will fuck him off as soon as possible. If they uh, feel that he's still the electoral asset that they voted him as leader for, then they will keep him. The more interesting and more terrifying question is why does anyone think what comes next will be better? Since when, over the last 10 years, has that been the case? You have
4: to hold that, that. That's a great end. If we cut that right there, that's a great end. Mick, I know you are a glass is half full type of guy, and you proved it by drinking on the podcast, right? So you're going you're gonna to prove Emma wrong by telling us systematically, fundamentally, and categorically why 2021 is going to be better than 2020.
3: Well, listen, I have to drink on the podcast because you put me through such mental torment um, that it's just this is medicinal. Right. Um, no, he'll be gone before the winter is over. He'll be gone before the local elections. The next prime minister is Michael Gove. After him is uh, Rishi Sunak or um, possibly Pretty Patel. And I could, this is to do with various in, in the media issues. Um, it's
2: going to be Pretty Patel. And that's why I think it's going to be worse.
3: Well, okay. All right. Thinking, All right. Hold that. Hold that. Think... This is utterly no, a no, shock. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. You can't let me stop on. <laughs> I actually think. So I'm going to finish my sentence because I do actually think, even though you don't let me, um, I actually think that Gove is the next one because I think he's going to persuade them to allow him to be sort of a caretaker PM during a shit show. And then it will be a face off between Sunak and Patel and, and, and the Tory heartlands actually think Patel is the new Thatcher. And if you look at the way she's discussed in the press, they start to call her pretty. And whenever you get a first name, whenever you become a mononym, that's when you're going to end up being the next prime minister.
2: Completely agree. Oof,
4: Karan. Right. I'm hearing some very shocking things on my podcast here. Good job I'm out of the country. Prime Minister Patel, is this really going to come to pass?
8: I think Boris Johnson will still be prime minister next year because nothing ever changes and nothing ever like I think we're I think we're stuck in an endless loop like we've fallen through a wormhole and nothing will ever change. Um I just think you know from from Boris Johnson's point of view yes I think he's fundamentally weak but I don't think the Tories will ever get themselves together around one preferred alternative. Um, I don't think that, you know, their infinding will ever end. It's it's infinite. And I don't know much as much about UK politics as some of the other people on here, but I don't see any reason to believe that Boris Johnson will ever step aside until the next election.
3: The only thing I would say is that the Tory party have always been ruthless about getting rid of leaders. Like it, Historically, they have. They, they they killed off Maggie Thatcher, sure. their greatest electoral asset ever. Uh, and, and they were smart to do that because then Major won the next election. And uh, weirdly, British politics has weird amnesia. The electorate seems to have this weird amnesia. They could win the next election if they bring in the right person, sadly. Mm-hmm.
4: Wayne, potentially Prime Minister Patel, uh, Prime Minister Sunak. Seems like there is utterly no ceiling to what us minorities can achieve in the United Kingdom. Isn't this a great time to be black and British?
6: (laughs) We're talking about pretty Patel, black and British. Um, No, not exactly. (laughs) I'm going to have to ignore that one completely. No, I think... Okay, um, let, let, let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase it, right? Uh,
4: we had this year unprecedented marches uh, for racial justice throughout the world, prompted by the murder of George Floyd, um, which everybody saw. Will things get better for people of colour in the United Kingdom, in particular, in 2021?
6: As long as it's trending, um, but no, uh, you know, I think it's famous for 15 minutes. It's one of those situations where, uh, and it's and it's starting to wane at the moment. I mean. Four or five months ago, uh, we we had corporations coming out saying that we do X, we do Y, we will do X, and we will do Y. But then it feels like now that the the impact of what happened with George Floyd is starting to is starting to leave us. Brexit is the news, um, COVID is the news, and then then everything else that 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 that's that's come uh, since then seems to be falling off by the wayside. So when it, when it's got the media gaze, it's it's great. But when when that gaze falls off. No. So I think we'll be we'll be back to square one. Uh, Clint, uh, obviously, Washington, D.C. Um, Washington, D.C.
4: is a a city which has a sizable uh, black population. Uh, So Black Lives Matter isn't just just a a hashtag there. In what way um, did, let's say, the death of George Floyd, etc., influence Washington politics, local Washington politics? I'm not talking about Washington on a national level in the last year.
9: Uh, it was definitely a huge deal in D.C. Uh, the mayor renamed uh, a section of 16th Street right in front of the White House, Black Lives Matter Plaza. In terms of, you know, local politics, uh, D.C. has always been a really diverse city. Uh, and that's been reflected in, in the city council and a lot of other things. So in terms of how it's affected policy, it's, it's really in line with a lot of the outrage uh, that you see in reaction to, to these events and, and, George, and the Black Lives Matter movement and all of that. But it is really sustained. And I think that that's been impressive to see. There were marches and there were protests and they, they, they went on for a long time. And I think that's a great thing, that sustained willingness of people to go out, despite a pandemic, to stand up for what's right. Doug, you wanted to jump in.
7: I agree mostly with what Wayne and Clint both said, but I actually have seen more glimmers of hope than I had expected I would see at this point. No question, the murder of George Floyd has faded from the headlines but i am seeing particularly from corporate leaders and local leaders not so much on the national level in the us but folks who actually have authority to do stuff i'm seeing people really look hard at systemic racism and trying to address the root causes of some of these problems it's nowhere close to where it needs to be, but we are way farther down the path than we were even six months ago. We've got to push harder. We've got to move faster. There's no reason for there to be such inequity. But people are open to the conversation in ways that were simply didn't happen before.
4: Emma, you're going to have the last word on this segment.
2: I actually wanted to come back somewhat glibly uh, to something we were talking about before, which was the Tory leadership, Um, because um, lots of people are are currently playing this off as it's going to be Sunak versus Patel. There is this enthusiasm for Sunak amongst a certain type of commentariat. Uh, The same people who thought Rory Stewart was going to be the leader of the Conservative Party. And you know what? Sunak may appeal to your nice centrist All can't we all just get along a bit guys you know who gets to vote for the leader of the Tory party first the MPs who are all bonkers and secondly the membership who are even more bonkers they're bastards
3: is what they are
2: yeah bonkers and bastards Um, not cakes and fruitcakes or whatever it was that David Cameron called um, UKIP members who are now mostly Conservative members we don't get a say. The liberal commentariat media of London don't get a say. And we need to stop pretending that what we put in the comment page of the Independent or the even the Times matters in the slightest. Yeah, you know, we all, I mean, other than me, because I actually wrote a piece saying that you know, Rory Stewart was the emperor's new clothes. Bigging myself up slightly there. But, um, you know, stop falling for centrist Tories because they are never going to be the ones that memberships choose. They also don't exist.
9: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
1: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Right.
4: Now, one of the things which we did in the last year in Mid-Atlantic is to introduce Canadian politics into the fold Um, And I must admit, I did this because I spend a third of my year in uh, the great northern frozen ice bucket that is known. It's a wonderful place. I love Canada and jokes aside because my kids live here. So to include the Canadians, this is the question. If you had to snog, marry or avoid (laughs) Trump, Trudeau or Johnson, who would it be? Laura Babcock coming to you first because you're the Canadians. You've You've got a lot of expert knowledge here. Snog, marry, uh, or avoid.
0: We have a different name for that. It's a little bit more um, <laughs> vile in Canada for that game.
4: <laughs> oh, no. this, this is a family show, Laura. We know there are, there are other takes on this, but this is a family show.
0: I think on a serious note, I mean, Trump is as disgusting a human being as I've ever seen on any... That's a world.
4: void. That's a void, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: that's a nice way of saying it. Um, in terms of uh, somebody who not perfect, a little bit superficial, but seems to be pretty good at politics and pretty generous uh, and very helpful. Trudeau has been a good leader. And I think he- he, Are you
4: marrying Justin Trudeau? You are Um, part, you'd say you're polyamorous, remember, so.
0: Well, I will tell you this, my husband met Trudeau once and they both had long, beautiful hair. And I think my husband's hair is better, so I'm going to stick with my husband. But Trudeau does have a good head of hair, which I respect. Uh, No offense to anyone, Royfield. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're going to push me into this dumb game. I'm going to come back at you, my friend. Uh, And Johnson, I mean, God, he's like, he reminds me of like the the guy. You'd kiss
4: him. You'd kiss him. Go on. Go on.
0: Oh, what a horrible choice a bunch of choices you've given me. Come on. Somebody else play this horrible game.
4: (laughs) Uh, Matthew Smith. Right. Okay. You've got those three three leaders of their executives in their countries, right? And it's not a secret, right? But you and I, at times, have talked about online dating, have we not, sir? Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Okay, good, 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 right? Not betraying you there, right? So um, which dating app would you put um, Trump on as opposed to uh, Johnson
5: and Trudeau? Trump is brute force, Tinder, show your dick pic and don't care if you say if don't care if you block him you know he's he is absolute brute force <laughs> Johnson I'm gonna give a little bit more nuance to and maybe maybe like a bumble type thing um because I think he is rather bumbling so I, it's, it's probably kind of a good metaphor. Um is an everyman he is an attractive guy. I mean it, you know good obviously like we like we say good head of hair maybe he's more like friend oriented so maybe no, more-
4: coffees and bagel it's coffees and bagel isn't he he could, could, could be a Coffee
5: and kind of guy. Yeah, he could be. Uh, having, having never dated any people myself, it's hard for me to tell. But yeah, Trump is definitely brute force tender, for sure. Emma?
2: Since I've been on this call, I've had two Hinge likes. What have you done?
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's you saying how you got really flexible uh, j- doing yoga. <laughs>
2: it's like... Hinge? <laughs> not that mad. <laughs>
4: I feel you have to follow this up by basically saying which app would be suitable for which leader in which country. Um, Go.
2: So, well, no, Trump is probably FetLife. Life. Um, definitely, if the P tape really exists, he's definitely Fet Life. Boris Johnson is on Tinder with a picture of a drugged tiger. I mean, that's just Boris Johnson to a T. And maybe okay, Cupid, because he's a little old-fashioned and crap. Um, but he does like to shag a lot, and Tinder's really the place for that. She says, not knowing anything about this in reality at all. Just My
0: wine is knows. not strong enough for this conversation. I need a stick. Stay- <laughs> <laughs>
2: I just introduced you to the concept of fat life, Laura. I have to know. no so longer than a drunk tiger. I mean, come well, on. Well you're polyamorous,
8: oh. so fat life should be useful for
2: you. <laughs> Hasn't 2020 been rough enough? Do we need to do it? <laughs> Justin Trudeau is a smoothie chops. He's a bit too smoothie chops for me, to be honest. Um uh, but I think he'd be on one of those sort of executive dating. Gold
3: standard at that. In a circle or whatever that. In a Thank you, Mick. That's yeah, the one
2: they keep go. advertising to me, and I'm not rich enough. And I just, for the record, Royfield,
0: since you invoked my marriage several times, I must say, <laughs> my husband has the hair, but not. What did you call it? Smoothie. What was that? British
3: chops. Smooth Smoothie chops. Yeah. My husband's not that. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right. Okay. Last question. Right. No, no, um, hang on. I've got an incredible fuck, marry, kill answer. <laughs>
0: That's what <laughs> we call it on the side of the pond. <laughs> we were
8: doing
2: snog. kill,
3: right? <laughs> right. Here's the thing. You're not going to like this answer, but it's the answer I'd go for, right? I mm. killed Trudeau. Fuck that. It's just, it's all, all surface, right? I've married Trump, right? Because I'll persuade him not to have a prenup. I will get that oh, money, no
8: right? He doesn't have any money. Yeah, well,
3: okay. I'll, I'll get... De- debt and equities. It's fine, whatever. Right? Um, who am I left with? Mary. Uh, Mary, I've done. John. Well, it's Johnson. Boris
2: gonna- Oh fuck Johnson! Yeah, because I would
3: hate fuck him to death. <laughs> There you go. See if you edit that one in. See if you edit. I will. I'll be listening to this podcast. And if you don't include that, I'll be very disappointed. I think that's your opener, Royfield.
4: It is. It is. That's the first question. All right. Last question. Last question. Um, we all love a bit of Netflix. We're all of an age that we can say we've had some of our formative moments in a cinema. Um, 2020 could well be, yes. Emma Burnell, hide, hide in your head with shame. Yes, you were on the back row, weren't you? Getting up to all sorts. Um, 2020 could well be the death nail of the cinema. Clint Losey, I know on another podcast we talked about you being furtive in a dark cinema before. Miss the cinema and, give, and tell us one great film that you saw in a movie cinema.
9: Uh, I mean, I don't think of myself so much as furtive in the cinema, cinema as flirty in the cinema. So, oh, an important difference. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss I'm going to miss uh, miss the going to the movies. Um, and I'm in denial about it. But it's, it's probably going to be the case that we're going to keep the big cinemas. We're going to keep the multiplexes, your little art house cinemas and, and some of the, you know, kind of mom and pop.
4: You know, you I'm know what, Glenn? I think it's going to be the other way around. I think the I smaller right. ones, like you go to the Everyman in the UK, and you can have your dinner there. They bring it, bring it to your chair. You can have a glass of wine. I think it's going to be those that survive because they're adding more to the experience than the, than the multiplexes. We've all got sound bars at homes and massive plasma screen TVs. Do we even need the cinema? Uh,
3: all right, Richie Rich
4: says you. Look at your your place behind you. Don't be pleading poverty with me, Mick
3: Wright. You you can be quiet. No, this is rented and I'm lucky that I live with a very successful academic because I am a poor man.
4: Wayne, here's a secret for us in 2020. Get into relationships with well-heeled women. The cinema, Wayne Campbell. You're a man who's made a film or two in your day. Uh, Are you going to miss... Going into those multiplexes, are you going to miss seeing an explosion 90 foot high on the silver screen?
6: You know what? I think uh, where I live, uh, the, uh, we've got a, a local picture house. Now that's shut down. Uh, and they've just got a sign out saying, um, we don't know we're going to be back open, but we, we miss you all. So I'm absolutely going to miss that. I went and saw the last major film I saw, that was Adventures. when it, The day it came out at two in the morning with my son, Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing experience. Um, but that being said, uh, staying home and watching things like watching Netflix, things like the Queen's Gambit, has been again incredible. And you know, if you've got a large plasma TV, clearly like what Mick has uh, in 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 his uh, den of iniquity, then 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 that's going to be great. But, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, not the I same. It's not the same. <laughs> absolutely going to miss the cinema. Karen,
4: what about you, mom? Last word from you.
8: I will desperately miss the cinema. In fact, I hope I won't miss the cinema because I plan to be right back in there with bells on as soon as they'll let me. Um, the last film I saw in the cinema right before I went into lockdown on my birthday, which was the day before lockdown, which sucked timing wise, um, was The Personal History of David Copperfield, which I just thought was delightful. And for me, it's like, yeah, I love big explosions, that's fine, give me all that, but I also just love seeing small stories on big screens, I love seeing human faces big up close, I love just being in a room yeah, with lots of Karen,
4: people. Do we need it's a breathing. big screen? I love an Amer- I love an yes. indie film, yes, I, I love an indie film. Film, right i i love all of that and i love it when there isn't a traditional hollywood narrative structure i don't need to watch that 60 foot high i don't do i that's what it's about the a, collective experience it, that's it, what we yeah. are saying yeah it's, it's not about exactly? the, it's
9: not about the big screen it's about being in a room with a bunch of other people you're not gonna you're not checking your phone you're not getting up for a snack you have no choice but to be engaged because all of your other senses around you have been dulled in the dark so you, you're you're engaged.
8: I'll tell you about one experience. Years ago, I, I saw a film called The Quiet Place, which is, if you don't know it, it's a horror film. The premise of it is that the, the world has been taken over by aliens with an extraordinary sound sense of hearing. So every surviving human has to be incredibly silent. I saw this film in a room with 200 other people. Nobody was breathing. The film's incredibly silent. And you can hear the audience holding its breath, 200 people all together. That's an experience you can't replicate in, on your sofa. And believe me, I love a stream. Like I will binge. I've been binging all year. I will continue to binge long after I can go back to the cinema, but you will never replicate the experience of listening to an entire room full of people hold their breath for sheer suspense. There's nothing like that.
0: And I love monster movies. I'm a big monster movie <laughs> fan. More monster, more me. I want to see that, if not in like... The biggest theater. I want surround sound, Dolby. I want you know, Bring the whole IMAX. I want IMAX for dressing. All of it.
3: Mick Wright. Right, right now, see, I've got, I've got, I've got a short but three-part answer, right? Which is one, first film I ever saw my dad. Adam's family values amazing. Secondly film I saw on my own a couple of years ago, Matter of Life and Death, black and white film from uh, the late 40s, uh, uh, late war years, amazing. But the best cinema experience I've had in years is with my stepdaughter seeing the penultimate of the latter Star Wars films and in fact, actually the last of the last Star Wars films um, so um, Rise of Skywalker just her experiencing like fear and excitement and, and all these kind of things in this big space with just, just me and her there and her hiding behind the seat and all this kind of stuff is wonderful and she and I watch films at home all the time and it's our thing to watch movies together but to watch it in a in a cinema with the sound and the people and the experience of going in and getting your snacks and all that kind of stuff it's an event thing and, and she really loves it and I love it so I want to keep doing that because I'm going to do that for her shit about me um, whatever you know but for her, I'd like more cinema for her.
4: Well, has to be said, the, two of my best cinematic uh, experiences in, in the last uh, few years were um, Avengers Infinity War when I was in uh, watching the cinema in Oakland and the woman next to me, who was 50 plus, said, no, no, not Spider-Man as well. When <laughs> <laughs> I, she was crying her eyes out. I was like... <laughs> and then it has to be
0: said right
4: bear in mind i've always from when i was a little kid i've been a captain america fan and it had nothing to do with america i just like the fact that he wasn't particularly powerful but he had to use his brain and he was a great strategist and i I'm always like that and things could do this shield At the end of those Avengers trilogy trilogy movies, when there was the scene of him and he'd gone back in time and he was dancing with Peggy Carter, men were crying in that cinema. Kids were crying. Right? You've been so invested in all those films. And it does go to enhance the cinematic experience. I turned to Noah. And then I looked away quickly, my son. Because I didn't want to see that dad was even welling up. And whatever. Ella, my daughter, was crying. It was utterly amazing. So, let's so hope that we don't have the end of the communal experience of uh, going to the cinema. Right, everybody, I've utterly enjoyed this. Ems, I've got to go. Because I've got things I need to do, sweetheart.
2: It's... um. <laughs>
4: Tell what I did in the cinema during Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Okay, then go on. Emma Burnell, special really really supplemental question. <laughs> uh, let me throw this out to everybody, but it's really for you. As, did anybody get up to anything furtive, naughty, hello, Mr. Mr. Babcock, um, whilst watching Bill and Ted's bogus journey Ooh. in a dark cinema? That
2: would be telling, Whitefield. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: you tune in for Mid
3: Atlantic After Dark, our other <laughs>
4: Everybody, listen, this has been such a great way to, to end what's been, I think, for everybody a terrible year. I think all of you in so, some shape or form I've really connected with this year. Karen, it was great to come onto your podcast. Uh, it's a shame that we had to talk about the death of an African-American man to do that. Clint, uh, we I've known you, I know you the least out of everybody here, uh, but uh, we did uh, watch those American presidential results together and I thought, I quite like him. And hopefully you thought that uh, about me and now we've had you on your third Mid-Atlantic. Emma Burnell, enough said... It
2: was lovely to finally actually meet. Yes, yes. No,
4: after no, knowing no, each no. other for two plus years, we actually finally met in Highgate in London. Wayne Campbell... My old pal, me old mucker. It's great to have you on the show. We're always talking about things we're going to do together. We actually, we've done something, haven't we? Uh, Laura Babcock. You're radiant, you are, Mrs. Your knowledge of U.S. politics, your inquisitiveness in terms of U.K. politics and all the, your utter forensic detail of Canadian politics. You pushed your way onto this podcast for us for, for for now to do a segment about Canada. It's all down to you. And of course, Mick Wright, what what can I say? You know, you are my bête noir, You are the person who, are most, who I love the most and also angry with the most and equal. Measure, you're nothing but a firecracker. What do I like
3: nature? Nothing. Oh, no. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. And I have Mistake. to say, nothing you are, boy, you
4: are, you are. And I have to say, big ups to Doug Levy, who's actually left the recording uh, because he had a client to go and service. Not that type of client. Uh, well,
2: even if it is, who
4: cares? Good luck for him. Good luck to Doug. You, work, know, work. you know, exactly, it's work. You know, if he,
2: as long as he pays his taxes, they it's all good. And that can of worms. <laughs> can oh my. Oh my.
4: And, 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 and uh, to my uh, drinking pal, Matt Smith, you won't mind me saying he's somewhat of a barroom philosopher, but an incredibly uh, well-versed person when it comes to to politics. Who's also um, had to nip off early because he had to earn a crust as well. If you're listening to us, uh, thank you for being part of Mid Atlantic uh, this year. Uh, the traffic has gone up by a sizable amount. Maybe that's because I've finally got my act together and I'm putting together a decent show. But in large part, it's because of the great panelists which I've had around me. And also, it's because I think people who have left us in a persuasion have realized that we need to stand up and not just talk about creating change, but also be part of that change. And this year, we've had ample opportunity to stand up, whether it's to do racial justice, social justice, economic justice. Take care, everybody. Thank you for being part of the Mid-Atlantic team and family. 21 will be better. I don't care whatever Emma Burnell says. It's always getting worse. There's
3: only one way up. Well, thank thank everybody. Blame. I'm the more cynical one. Thank you, I just Royfield. I Royfield. Why can't we compliment Royfield? Come
0: on. Yeah, thank you, Royfield.
3: For our Royfield.
4: Thank you, everybody. Listen, that's been brilliant.